Thank you for that. Thank you, Pastor. And no, I'm going higher with you all. I'm telling you, it's like we're going <laughs> together into some higher places. And I just love the fact that there's always more. That's the truth. There's always more. So thank you for uh, just being here. Thank you all for opening your hearts and your spirits to me and for um, sacrificing your time to, to be a part of these preps. I really, really appreciate it. And I am being blessed. I pray that you are. And I just thank you again, Pastor Felix, for those gracious words. I am being blessed. I'm being blessed in this and through bless this. And um, I just appreciate it. And please, I thank God, first of all, please know that, uh, and I might say it every week, but it's the truth every week. Um, it's the truth every day is that I don't have it all together. And I'm really on this journey with you all. And then I'm enjoying the process. I'm learning more by um, day by day and um, more and more I'm learning to enjoy this process and know that God's not surprised with what needs to change in me. He already knew it before I did, you know? So a part of the journey has been him bringing me into the revelation of what needs to change and how to change. And that for God, it's not a negative. He had already preordained that we would go through a process of change in this life. So I'm thankful for the foundation of worship, the foundation of relationship. And I'm just as thankful that it continues and that there are higher rounds and um, deeper depths to go into with God. So thank you all again for your time and for being a part of um, this chapter of my life and allowing me to be a part of this chapter of your life and your journey. Um, and thank you for that prayer. Just, just um, a couple of things you prayed in there that just really awakened something in my spirit. So thank you for that. And one of the things that you said was, you know, thank you God for meeting us where we are. And that just blesses me that he always meets us where we are and where we are, whether it's where we are um, in our spiritual maturity even where we are in our physical state. So we like when we're tired in our bodies, as long as we invite him, he still meets us there. And I just thank him for meeting us no matter where we are, no matter how we are. One of the phrases that we use a lot in um, church is um, we exalt you, God, you know, and even in our time, we exalt you, God, whether it's in our private time, God, I exalt you. And learning the truth of what that really means it, it, a part of how I learned it was having preps and I was physically tired, but I knew that I was accountable to lead. And so that point of exalting God really began to be functional in my life because what I realized is if I raise him above everything, if I put him higher than anything, and if I make sure that even in my mindset, he's first, that whatever is raised higher, whatever is the first, is responsible to take care of everything else. And so when I used to think about on my way to prep, I would think like, I'm so tired, I'm so tired. And I didn't realize I was exalting tiredness and whatever you exalt impacts everything else. And so the more I said, I'm tired, the more tired I felt, the more I was focused on being tired and the more my body even showed, you know, the tiredness. But once God began to teach me, even in basic everyday simple things, when God is exalted, he 
takes dominance and precedence over everything else. And so on my way to prep, I started learning how to say, God, I exalt you. Yes, I'm tired because you're a God, you know, worship um, is spirit and truth. So the truth is my body is physically tired, but a greater truth is that you're bigger than my body. You're stronger than my body. You're more impactful than my body. So if I exalt you over this tiredness, you can handle what I'm feeling physically. And I started experiencing the difference I would walk into prep feeling like I had just come off a vacation. You know what I'm saying? But all I did was in my mind, exalt God over it and just begin to focus on his greatness. And he really did prove that in that situation, he gave me a supernatural energy and it increased my faith because I knew my physical state. I knew my body was tired, but experiencing God show up in me and through me and give me an energy that I knew couldn't come from a good night's sleep. It was a supernatural energy. It's like it increased my faith. So it increased my appetite to exalt God over situations. Um, and that's the, what that's just one example of the experiences that he enjoys for us to have. Like when we experience, wow, he really did that. And it's, it's more than just church lingo. When I exalt him, I've, I've really experienced the difference in my life. I experienced the difference in my body. So um, just that was just a, a point about practicality that we can take phrases that can seem like church or religious phrases, but when we understand and apply, uh, when we apply them according to our understanding of what it really means, it makes a difference in our lives. And so that whole point of exalting God is not just something that was for leading worship services. It's something that in my life I needed to learn how to do and it has paid off and continues to pay off. Um, so for tonight, let's just one with the assignments, everybody remembers that first week, this is our third week. So the first week, our weekly assignment was to pray Matthew 6:10. Father, I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in my life. And um, the weekly assignment from the second week last week um, who can tell me what it was? Romans 12. And our bodies are living sacrifice. Romans That's 12. it. Romans 12, too. God, it's like, Father God, just we're praying that um, as we present ourselves a living sacrifice that, sacrifice, that you would transform us by the renewing of our mind. Change the way I think. Change the way I think. And so that was the first week and the second week. Just to recap um, very quickly, the first week we were dealing with the repentance and just changing the way that we think and the scripture reference that I gave um, a few of them and I referred to a few, but the main two were Acts 17, 30, when God said, you know, just change the way you think, just repent, um, which means to change the way you think. And then we talked about Revelations 2. Um, and in that is the same point um, in terms of returning to our first love. And he made the point again about repentance. Last week, we were talking about and we just stayed pretty much in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, and the point of presenting ourselves, did anybody experience um, what we were talking about as we ended? Did you experience just the presence of God? And I'm talking about the manifest presence because the presence of God is everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's all omnipresent. He's everywhere. Um, but his manifest presence, something different. And so when we were talking about just present yourself and whether it's just a minute to start 
with um, learning to, to be silent before God and to give him what he wants and to let him be in control in that minute and to just focus on him and take ourselves out of the mix. Did anybody have an experience with that? I did. Yeah. I think one of the greatest points I last, last, uh, last week was the fact that um, our minds would just run, run away. Um, when we begin to worship the Lord or when we begin to, you know, try and get into his, his presence, we're thinking about the washing machine, the dry, you know, we just all right. over the place. And um, just when you were just saying, if it's, if it's, you can give God 15 seconds, give him that 15 seconds. And for me, I always found myself battling and getting angry with myself. Like, why can't you stay focused in prayer? You know, why is my mind going all over the place? And then I started arguing with myself. Like, you know, you, <laughs> heathen, you, know, you can't even... You can't even bless the Lord or, or stop thinking about yourself. And so just taking it in smaller increments, because I'm, you know, I worship and I pray. And there's sometimes I can go, you know, I can get in there and stay, but there's sometimes when I mean I am battling to just get into his presence. So I think that that point was really profound about, you know, just give it to the spirit. Just, you know, release it to the spirit. And uh, so I quit beating myself up and saying, you know what, <laughs> this ain't working for me. This ain't working for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I just cannot stay focused. And accepting those, that, those few minutes that I have, accept that and then come back again. That's right. Yeah, that's it. You said something critical there because I'm telling you, it's like I could spend time with God running my mouth and telling him, you know, what's on my heart. But spending time with him, hearing what he's saying and just stilling my mind, yeah, that, that was a job for the Holy Spirit. It's like, okay, I need the Holy Spirit for real, for real, you know, to take over this place because um, it, and it's a new thing. It's a new way. Anybody else have an experience um, in that? Yeah, all right. Oh, that's cool. Was it, you don't have to share it if you don't want. I'm just asking. I was going to say, um, I had an experience even with my children. So I have three little ones and the two older ones bump heads all the time. And um, they were in a fight and the, the middle one, she said, mommy, I don't know how to not be angry. I don't know what to do. And in that moment, I was like, let's experience God. Like open your hands to receive and we're just going to sit with God and we're going to have God tell you what to do. And afterwards, Alea, she was like, I felt God. I felt Jesus all over. I could feel tingles. And I said, and what did he tell you to do? He said, she said, I feel calm now. I know I don't have to argue with Tyson. I know I don't have to. So that was our experience this week. And that's profound. That is profound. I wish I had learned that as a kid. Wow, what you're teaching them, that's major. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Now that's awesome right there. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm telling you, there's something that um, simplifies life. And, you know, I'm thankful to have learned it when I learned it. But for your daughter, like to learn that at that age, my goodness, and in a very practical way, you know, it's a very practical way as opposed to a religious type of way. Um, and uh, that's just a blessing. Thank you for sharing that. Tonight, um, we are going to one look at the worship definition. So let me get my phone. Um, and just want to take you through these definitions. This is um, the original definition. When Petra began, this is what 
God spoke to Bishop and then a couple of years into it, again, because God is always revealing more and more, then he, God gave Bishop the expanded definition. So those are the first two things that you see um, if you're looking at it. And if not, I'm just reading it. The original definition, it says that worship is obedience to God, which is born out of a love for God. So it's not a legal, I'm doing it because I have to, but you're obeying because of your love for God. And I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on these. I don't feel like God is saying, I don't sense God saying, you know, to spend a lot of time in them, but just to go through to lay a foundation. Um, but so that's the original definition. And then as I said, a couple of years later, God gave Bishop this expanded definition, which is worship is a choice. It's a choice of passionate intimacy with God, where we are consumed with giving to God what he desires, thereby ascribing the highest value to God. And a part, I mean, there's so much in that short statement, but starting with worship is a choice. <laughs> you know, it's a choice. We were created to worship, but it's still something that we have to choose. And just as we have chosen, because we're all Christians, just as, as we have chosen to receive Christ as our savior, then these periods come where you have to choose to continue in him or not. Mm. And so you can mm. choose to be in Christ, you know, choose Jesus Christ as your savior. And the truth is that you can receive him as your savior, which guarantees that when you leave this earth, you're going to be with him. But many people, and I, I used to be one of them, received him as savior and then remained the same in our attitude, in our ways, um, in the way that we thought. Not much changed except going to church, being faithful in church, um, knowing that we were Christians, and knowing that when we die, we would go to heaven. But in terms of functionality, just functional daily life type things, my attitude, my ways, a lot hadn't changed, but I was a Christian. And so where I made the choice to receive him. And of course, you know, the scripture says he first, he chose us, he mm -hmm. chose us. And so in receiving him as Jesus, as savior and Lord, um, I just wasn't experiencing the change of life and the change of mind and the change of ways. But what I was trying to do was change my actions because religion said you had to do certain things and you couldn't do certain things. And you, so it's like trying to um, have this legal relationship where I'm just trying to make sure I don't mess up. And Jesus, he, he died for us to have life and trying to live, making sure you don't mess up is not life. You know what I mean? It's like you get anxiety and, uh, it's just not a, a good way to, to exist. And it, that's what it is, existing, not yet living. And so worship is this choice. It's a choice to continue in the things of God. So I received him as my savior. Now I choose whether I'm going to continue. And we can all look at our lives and see where choices were presented to us, even though we may not have seen it as a choice from God being presented to us. It was like, okay, do you choose to stay in religion or do you choose to just, um, you know, stay where you are and you know, God is seeking to move you somewhere else. It's all of these choices. So the choice continues day by day. 
week by week, you know, making that choice, God, I'm, I'm going to continue in you. I want to continue to grow. I want to continue to go higher. I don't want to just perfect what I already know. I want to continue, which means take me into places I don't know, places that I've not yet experienced. I want to go deeper. I don't want to always stay in a place where my mind understands everything. Take me by the spirit into realms where it's not just knowledge, but it's revelation. And I'm not talking about intellectual revelation, but I mean something alive, something comes alive on the inside. And so it's, it's this choice of passionate intimacy with God where we're consumed with giving to him what he desires. And that's a part of what we talked about last week. Um, in that minute or those 15 seconds, learning to give God what it is he desires. What do you desire, God? And just being able to cultivate a place where it's not about what I want and it's not even about what I want to give him. I heard a story years ago that stayed with me and it was a natural example, but God uses natural examples to make spiritual points. And it was this example, um, this, this story about a couple who had gotten married, they were really in love, they got married, they went on their honeymoon, had a ball, and then they came home from their honeymoon, and they spent the first night in their house, well, the next morning, they got up, and the wife had prepared a wonderful, wonderful breakfast for the husband, and remember, this was like her first time cooking for them, because uh, they, you know, had gone on honeymoon, had room service, so they get in and she had cooked, you know, this breakfast and he comes down and the table is spread and she's so excited, so excited. And uh, he has an odd look on his face. And she's like, you know, I made this for you. Aren't you excited? And he said, I appreciate your gesture. I appreciate you taking the time to do this, but you've got to get to know me now. And he said, um, you made bacon and I'm allergic to, I can't eat the bacon. And you made such and such, and it makes me sick on, you know, the eggs make me sick on my stomach. And the point of it was what she had done was prepare her favorites for him. Mm. Not understanding it wasn't what he wanted. Wow. It wasn't even something he could take in. Lord and so Jesus. point, which is the point of worship is like, okay, now we're in this relationship, but mm. now God teach me to, um, to understand your heart. That's why mm. God said he chose David. David was after God's heart. Mm. So it's like, God teach me to come after your heart, to understand what you desire, what you want, what pleases you. Yeah. And in that situation, it wasn't that the woman had done something wrong. But what she had done was prepared a meal according to her taste and her desire wow. and what she wanted to give. And wow. so in our leading worship and our worship leader lives, God, he, he allows and accepts that for a season. But wow. then once you mature, God says, okay, now you're mature enough to, you know, he's, I appreciate this. This is God speaking, saying, I appreciate you wanting to give me what you want to give me and give me your gifts and give me your talents and give you, I appreciate that. And that was good for the last chapter, but the chapter has changed now. And so we're in a new chapter. So in this chapter, I want you to learn how to seek my heart and to offer me what pleases me as your God, as your father. And the truth is anytime we offer God that which pleases him, it fulfills us. He makes sure you know, that it's not just us pleasing him and then we're miserable. God makes sure 
that as we are desirous to please him and seeking to please him and seeking to know how to please him, he makes sure that there's a reward in it for us. It's like Hebrews 11, 6, you know, it makes that point that God, those that seek him, you know, he, there's a reward attached to it. God rewards those that diligently seek him. It doesn't even say he rewards you for finding him. Yeah. It says he just rewards you for the search, just for coming after him. Imagine that. Like in most cases, you get rewarded when you find the treasure. God says, listen, I'm so awesome. I'm going to reward you just for seeking me. Wow. Just for the seek, you know, wow. and then, of course, there are other scriptures where he says, when you seek me, you will find me. Yeah. But he's making the point in there, you get rewarded just for seeking him. And mm -hmm. the word seek, it's a verb. It's an action word. Yeah. It's not something I can just stay like I've been and go to church and stay in the same on the same level and call it seeking. Seeking means I've got to leave where I've been in order to pursue. I've got to go after. I've got to mm. continue. I've got to follow. And so worship is this intimate love relationship with God. And it's a choice where I am seeking to offer to God that which he desires. And many times in the Old Testament, he would say to the Levites and to the, the, the um, ironic line, don't make this fragrance for yourself. It's not for you. Worship is not for you. And he would say, you know, don't, he would give them the, the ingredients, and, but let them know this is not for you. When you make it for you, it's a strange fire to me, God says. Yeah. It has a strange odor. It reminds me of Lucifer. Mm. So it's like Lucifer was so um, anointed. And you remember there were the three archangels that are mentioned by name, Lucifer, which the angel, the covering over worship. And then you had Michael, um, the warring angel. And then you had Gabriel, the messenger. But for Lucifer, he was so into himself. He was so into what he looked like. Um, uh, Isaiah 14 talks about it. Ezekiel 28 talks about it. Uh, Revelations 12 talks about it, but he's making the point about Lucifer that his heart was defiled because he was in it for him. He wanted everything that God gave him. He was so impressed with himself um, that he actually wanted first place. He wanted first place. He wanted to ascend above the throne of God. He wanted, instead of exalting God, he was exalting himself. And so when we offer to God, um, what is not true worship, mm -hmm. but it is in the name of God, but we are focused on ourselves. You know, I, I said the very first week that you can't truly worship God with focus on yourself. But when we do that, it has an aroma, it has a scent, and it reminds God of Lucifer, who, you know, we know what happened to Lucifer. Um, but because of his own firsthand experience, he also knows how to distract us from focus on God. Mm. And so for Lucifer, he's not going to come and say, I'm, uh, you know, he, he now, of course, the devil, Satan, he's not going to come and say, well, I'm the devil, I'm the Satan, I'm Satan, worship me because he knows we won't go for that. But he gets us a lot of times the same way he got got which was focus on yourself, mm. just mm -hmm. self-preservation mm. or what you like or what you don't like, mm. or like, I don't want to sing this note because I might look bad, you know, mm. or I don't want to try to hit this note real strong. So I'm a hold back on God because I don't want my voice to crack. 
Man, there is nothing like the freedom of just giving it all unto mm. God and mm. not being consumed with how I look. Mm. And so, you know, there's a time when God comes and says, okay, you've done well in terms of this last chapter, but in this chapter now, it's going to be about pleasing me and seeking me and coming after me and desiring to know what's in my heart. And so I believe that, you know, I, I just want to take a moment to thank Pastor Felix and Pastor Katani because something in their spirit said, you know, we love our worship team. We love, you know, what God has done, but there's more, but there's uh, places that we can go to. There's more. And it's not just about good singing. And it's not just about um, experiencing what we have already experienced, but we want as a team, we want to go deeper. We want to go higher and we want more. And so I thank God for that because many pastors, some pastors would not even want a time of teaching um, they would want practice and rehearsals and, you know, you got to sound good. And, and so I'm just thanking God for their hearts in this. And I understand through my experience that there is a time when God says, um, it, it's this place that I hit where the, my leadership mm. recognize, okay, it's more than singing. It's more than being about singing and good songs. And God invited me into a place to make worship a very um, life yeah. relationship, not a church relationship, not a religious relationship. Yeah. And so what it took was laying down for a moment, the singing, the thing that I knew how to do in order to embrace a place where I had never learned. I had yeah. never walked there before. It was a new place. And at first it was a little scary and I didn't necessarily like it initially, but surrendered to it and it changed my life. It changed my life and it made a believer out of me. And then it made the sound that came from me, it made it uh, more of a heavenly sound mm -hmm. because whatever I'm after, that's, that's my heart. The heart always represents the why you're doing what you're doing or what you're really after. And when I was after just trying to produce good music, a natural ear could actually hear that. But somebody listening through the spirit, what they would hear would be, okay, she's not necessarily into the God she's singing about, but she's into singing. <laughs> Her singing sounds good. And it's like, okay, but good singing, it doesn't last. It feels good for the moment. But oh it doesn't last it doesn't it's not what's going to get me through you know the challenges of, of challenges of life it's going to sound good for the moment but it's momentary and god says don't put your affections on that which is momentary it's like okay because it doesn't last i want what's eternal i want what's going to last and i don't mean eternal like in the sweet by and by i'm talking about eternal and that it won't change today and that tomorrow when i need it is right there a good song ain't gonna help me in every situation but intimacy with god helps me in yeah every, every day every time all day long it's hey it's like i'd rather have that than a song but the yeah. beauty of it is that when you have relationship in and and it's your first it makes the song better and it's coming from a different place. And human ears, they hear your voice, 
but spiritual ears hear your heart. Like what's in your heart? What are you really after? Spiritual ears hear your heart. And so I can listen to people now and I hear the gift and I'll, I can acknowledge they're doing 1500 runs. They've got wonderful voice control. They have excellent voice control. All of that's great. Yay, 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 yay. It's like um, wonderful to the ear. But in the spirit, what I can hear is that they're all about, okay, professionalism. They're all about, they love that gift. They're all about them shining. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. I would rather not choose that. I would rather choose someone who they may not be able to do all of that, but the heart is after God. The heart is pure. The heart is unto God because spirit touches spirit. So if I'm ministering to you out of my soul, at best I can touch your soul. But if I minister out of my spirit, I can reach spirit to spirit. And it's like it does something that is eternal as opposed to temporary. So I don't know how we got on that. I'm giving this definition. Okay. So worship is a choice of passionate intimacy with God where we're consumed with giving to God what he desires, thereby ascribing the highest value to God. So that means if I want to do 1500 runs and if God says, sing it simple, because in wisdom, there's a simplicity. If God says, make it simple, well, I know I can make it fancy and I can do all this. But if God is saying, not in this moment, wisdom says that's not what's necessary right now. I've got to make a choice as to who I ascribe the greatest value to, doing it my way or doing it God's way. Who, what am I going to choose? And worship is always going to require a choice. And it's not a one-time choice. It is situation by situation, choice after choice. And it is, you know, a, a process, like we talked about process, but it's definitely a process of learning to surrender my will and seeking what God's will is. And it's this practical. I would ask kids, like um, when I was teaching the children, and I would ask the guys, like in the midst of a basketball game, how can you worship? And they're like, mm, I get lift my hands and thank God. And I'm like, no, let's make this thing practical. In the midst of a basketball game, and I would give them an example. Okay, let's say somebody fouls you and hits you, and you know they sort of intentionally did it on purpose. How can you worship God in that moment? And they'd be like, just they wouldn't know. And what I recognized was they had a religious understanding of worship, not an everyday practical functional uh, understanding of it. Functionally and in a practical way, it simply is loving God enough to do what he desires in that situation than to do what I want to do. And my point to them was, if somebody purposely fouls you, you're going to want to sock them. You know, you're going to want to like go back on them. And they'd be like, yeah. And I'd say, well, do you think that's what God would want you to do? And he's like, no. And I'd say, well, what does God, what do you think God wants you to do? And they'd be like, um, just to let it go. And I'd be like, mm, maybe, maybe not. In that situation, you can't just say, every time somebody hurts me, and purposely hits me that God wants me to let it go. That's not necessarily true. And so what we kept getting into was that what they were looking for is, okay, there's one way to respond that is God's way. That either if I worship, I gotta lift my hands and, or I have to let it go. 
And it's like, no, what you have to be is sensitive to the spirit in the moment and ask God how he wants you to respond in that moment. And there are certain things you know don't come from God. You know, God is not going to say cut somebody out. That's not God. We know that. But there are different ways. You know, I was looking at, um, it's either Proverbs 25 or 26. Let me find it for you. But it's making this point that what God wants is sensitivity in the moment. And so in that situation, if you, if the the guy asked God in his spirit, I'm not talking about you got to get on your knees and praying, God, what do I do in the moment? But I'm saying in your spirit, if you're just asking God, you know, God, show me how to respond to this, how to respond. God will in that moment give you the sense of how to respond. And it will require faith. It will require laying down your own will. It's going to require a choice. So in that moment, God could simply say, not your head smile at dude and walk away. Or God could have you to simply say, dude, I know you meant it, but I'm bigger than this. It's all right. I mean, however it is, God can have you respond in a particular way, but the sensitivity of your spirit um, is so necessary in order to hear what God is saying, where sometimes what we look for is the principle, like do it the same way every time. Let me walk away every time. That's not what God, God doesn't want a legal relationship where all you do is follow rules and principles. He wants this intimacy where he's able to guide you by his spirit in the moment, in, you know, in situations. Um, and so I was looking at, trying to see, let me try to, okay, it's in Proverbs 26. There are these two verses and they make the point. So it's Proverbs 26, um, verses four and verses five. And they say things that are actually contradictory. One verse contradicts the other. And so when we look for principles, like, okay, if a fool, if somebody that's acting foolish says something to me, God, how do I respond? And we want one principle, one word, one way, one answer, so that we don't have to be sensitive in the moment. We just know what to do, you know, because we did it before. So this is the way I do. If somebody does this, then I do that. God says, no, if somebody does whatever, I want you to seek me in the moment. And there are a time, there's, there's a time for principles. Like when I'm not hearing or getting guidance from God, I, I will walk out a principle that I know. Um, but God would rather have that interaction in a relationship where in the moment, my spirit is sensitive to how he's telling me to handle something and I'll do what he's saying to do. And if I offer God obedience, out of my love for him, that's worship. And so in that situation where the kid gets bold and he wants to go off on somebody, that's what he wants to do in his, in his soul. He wants to just cut somebody out, but he knows God is saying, no, just smile, put your hand on dude and walk away. If he offers that to God in that moment, that's worship. It's loving God enough to lay down your will and obey what he's saying to do. And it's in the moment. So these verses make that point. Verse four says, don't answer a fool according to his own foolishness or his own folly. Folly means you know, um, foolishness. So it says, answer not a fool, meaning don't answer a fool according to his own foolishness or else you'll be like him. So it's saying, don't answer a fool. If a fool says something to you, don't answer him because you'll end up being like him. 
Well, the very next verse says, answer a fool. Answer a fool according to his own foolishness. Lest he be wise in his own conceit. So one verse says, don't answer a fool because you'll be like him if you get into an argument with a foolish person. The next verse says, do answer a fool because you got to answer him so that he's not wise. So he's a, he doesn't think that he got over and he's wise in his own conceit. So which do I do? If a fool would say something to me, how do I respond? God says, in the moment, seek me. In the moment, just with your spirit to mind, like if somebody cuts in front of you when you're driving, how do you respond in the moment? God says, in the moment, seek me. Very practical ways. God says, these ways are worship. When you lay down your will, what you want to do, and when you seek what I desire to do, seek what's in my heart, and you offer that to me, that's what you choose to do, God's will in that moment, that's worship. That, and, and as I learn to do that in my daily life, if my husband is just like doing something and I just want to holler at him, instead of hollering, like if that's not what I'm being led to do, like I need to respond in a way that's gonna unite us and address the issue, not divide us. And so in that way, it's like, okay, God, I know I feel like hollering, but how do I need to respond? And I always just get a leading and that's how I respond. Well, that's worship. The more I do that in the course of a week, by the time we come together as a group of worshipers, the sound is phenomenal. And we're not trying to learn how to be sensitive to God on Sunday when we're together because we've been walking that thing out all week long and seeking that in our daily lives. And so that when we come together, it's just an outflow of what we have been exercising all week. And so it's the opposite of religion. Religion says when everybody comes together, let's all try to seek God. Relationship says Seek me individually in your lives all day long, just every day throughout your daily lives. And when you come together, then that is just like, oh my goodness, you've got all these spirits, all these people that are sensitive to God and have been seeking God's heart all week and seeking to uh, please him in their daily lives. When they come together as a team, as a group, as a unit, my goodness, they're able to just lead others lead the congregation in places that are brand new places. Even if you're singing a song you've sung before, it's coming from a new place because I've had new experiences in God all week long through, you know, the, the, the daily activities and the daily interaction. It's brand new. So now I'm brand new. I'm different than I was last week. And it keeps things fresh and it keeps things from becoming old and stale. And that is what God is desiring for each one of us to be able to experience not just um, the awesomeness of relationship with God in a church service, but in our daily lives. And when you get people who are experiencing it in, in their daily lives in very practical ways, man, there is no stopping. There's no stopping you in terms of how deep you can go in the spirit together when you are uh, uh, just like individually connected and having this relationship and things like division, things like, I don't like her. I don't like, like all that stuff melts in his presence. It just melts like wax in God's presence. And so the issues of division, the issues of um, 
envy or jealousy or like, okay, how, how that person is being used to sing as it relates to the group and how I'm being used is all of that stuff goes away. It doesn't, it, it, it just goes away. It melts like wax in the presence of God. So worship in a very, very practical way is this issue of that choice of passionate intimacy with God. And I'm seeking after his heart and I'm seeking to give him what he wants. And I'm seeking not just his hand, what can, what can he do for me, but I'm seeking his face, intimacy, to know him. You know, it's one thing for to know somebody's works, but it's a whole nother thing to know their heart and to know um, just, just what they're like you know, what they're like in terms of their character. And God desires, yes, to bless us. He desires that we do know his hand, but he wants us to seek his face. Face is intimacy, the eyes. You know, when you look somebody in their eyes and you know how it is when you got that love relationship and you're just looking in their eyes and you can see certain things in their eyes. Um, and, and there's just an intimacy that develops in an even greater way when you're face to face. So that's that, that issue you know, of worship and where Bishop makes the point about that intimacy. Um, it's a face-to-face -face worship. And very briefly, that Old Testament definition is pronounced shakah, shakah. There are many words for um, worship, many words in the Hebrew and in the Greek that are translated worship. But one of the main words in the Old Testament is shakah. And again, it's translated worship. And it means to bow down, to, um, to stoop before, to show reverence. The word for worship, that it's the equivalent to the Old Testament, the New Testament word in the Greek is proskuneo, proskuneo. So if you're looking at it, you'll see the word um, New Testament Greek, proskuneo. And then what you see underneath it is that it means the same as shakah. So where it says same as above, I don't know if your um, the the format will mess this up for you. But under proskuneo, it says same as above, but with an addition. So the same as above is simply saying that it's the same definition as shakah. It's the same definition as the Greek which again is to bow down, to lay you know, before, to lay prostrate, to show reverence, those kind of things. But then it goes on to say that what it adds is to kiss, like a dog licking his master's hand. And that's really the Greek definition. It actually uses a dog licking a master's hand as an example. Underneath what you'll see is the breakdown of the word proskuneo the beginning of it, those first four letters is pros, which simply means it speaks of the direction, like are you moving away from, or it speaks of direction that you're moving towards. So that's that continuing. I have relationship with God, but I'm continuing to move towards him. And just like it was said in the prayer, he meets us where we are. He meets us where we are to take us to a newer place in him, to a higher place, to a place forward. So. It says pros means to move forward. It means to move towards in submission. 
Like I'm not moving towards him, fighting him and kicking and screaming, but it's in submission to him. And then the next part of that word proskuneo is kuon. Kuon is actually a dog, it's a hound. And it means to be tenacious, relentless, that you're not proud. Think of how dogs are, you know what I mean? They're not like too proud to beg, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> not that God wants us to beg, but it's the, the word proskuneo is made up of these two words, pros and kuon. And so if you look at the definition of shaka, which means to bow down before, it means to show reverence, to crouch, to prostrate oneself, and if you think of this truth, that proskuneo includes all of that, but what it adds in the New Testament is to kiss. What is the difference to you? What is required in the New Testament definition that's not required in the Old, Te uh, Old Testament definition? Like to kiss, what does that require? And I'll give you the answer. Everything that's in that Old Testament definition to bow down, to crouch, to lay prostrate, I can do all of that without ever coming close to you. But in order to kiss, that requires a nearness. That requires an intimacy. So when it says to kiss like a dog licking a master's hand, in order for the dog to lick my hand, I have a dog, you know what I'm saying? And he can, whatever he eat and all that stuff on the other side of the room, but in order to lick my hand, he's gotta come close to me now. And so that's the point that is being made between the Old, defin Old Testament definition and the New Testament definition. The New Testament definition, God is seeking intimacy, nearness, closeness, relationship, not just being related to, but relationship. And again, because he meets us where we are, he knows how to teach us this point of worship in our daily lives, where religion makes it something that you do in church. And you can do that in church every Sunday. And like I said, you know, starting out when I uh, was talking earlier, you can do that every week, but the quality of your life is not changing. You can do that every week, but your attitude is still what it always was. And you just try to do better at being nice in front of people. And that's because the, the issue of religion makes the focus external. The image that you prepare, like the image that you present to other people, that's religion is all about the image. It doesn't have to be the truth of who you are. It doesn't have to be the truth of how you are. It's just saying, present an image to people. But relationships is, no, 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 let's deal with your internal state. Are you happy? Let's deal with your internal state. Do you like your attitude? Let's deal with your internal state. Do you get angry very easy? Do you go off the deep end and just try to keep it in? So religion would say, just don't act angry. But relationship says, God says, let me teach you how not to be angry. Let me teach you how to uh, just, just live in a state of internal peace. And it impacts every area of your life. 
And so where religion puts the focus on the external, relationship is all about your internal condition. Are you internally healthy? Are you internally happy? When I'm internally healthy and happy, believe me, I don't need anybody to stroke me. I don't need compliments. I thank you for compliments. I appreciate compliments. There's a difference between appreciating a compliment and needing it. You know what I mean? You, you, don't, you can appreciate it, but you don't need a compliment in order to make you feel good about you because God is making you feel good about you in a very real way because of your relationship with him. And so when you leave the house, you're not leaving wanting people to um, make you feel good about you. You're leaving the house with this desire to give to other people what God has given to you. And it just, instead of being a me focus on what I need, it becomes God, teach me how to love your people like you love them. Teach me how to give what you've given me. And when your focus is on God and how God wants you to respond to people, you feel better from the inside out. You really, I mean, it just, it just causes you to, to have life and life abundantly, like Jesus said he came to give us. And so um, just want to look at two places in scripture and then we're going to be gone. Uh, one is in Luke, you can write these two down, Luke, uh, chapter 10, verse 38. And just somebody can read, this is the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 38 through verse 42. And it's making the point that we've talked about, which is giving God what he desires. Um, understand before we even read it, this story, it's like Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they were all brothers and sisters, brother and sisters, and Jesus was visiting their house. So they got Jesus in the house. He's right there, but there are two different responses from the sisters, Mary versus Martha. So anybody that can um, and will read Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 38, and you can stop at verse 42. As they went, he entered the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Then tell her to help me. Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken from her. Amen. Excellent. Thank you. You have a beautiful voice. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. In that last verse, how many things did Jesus say are needful? Yeah, just one. Just one, it simplifies life, just one. And this is very practical in that, I mean, imagine, remember Martha welcomed him into her house. So it's like the point I was making before, okay, we receive him, but then we've got to continue on making choices in order to get to know him better and to get to know what's in his heart and choosing to seek to know him better. And how do I translate like this relationship that I have with him into everyday life? in order to experience quality of life in every area of my life. And so 
you've got Mary and Martha. Mary, Martha invited him into the house, but Jesus said that she was anxious. She was troubled. She had a lot of issues happening and she was worried about a whole lot of stuff with Jesus in the house. That's how a lot of us live. With Jesus in the house, we're still worried about a whole lot of stuff. And it's like, okay, there's a, you know, there, there's a time and a place and a season of immaturity where I'm living like that. But then God comes and says, okay, there's more. Let me teach you another way. Let's go to the next chapter. So you've had me in the house, you've been saved, but in terms of um, just, just having that peace and in terms of just being guided by the spirit and, and, and your choices and what to do, where to live and you know who do I marry and how do I pay these bills and all that. He says, I wanna lead you in, by wisdom in every area of your life not just in your church relationship with me. And so it's like, okay, he's in the house, but she's still doing her own thing for him. She's doing what she wants to do for Jesus. And that's that first chapter where we have done that in terms of worship, being worship leaders, um, in, in terms of just our lives, we go through that chapter where we have him in the house, but we're still doing what we wanna do for him not yet asking him, what do you want done? Like, what is it that you want? And so we tend to, um, we tend to by what we've experienced and we've seen other ministries do certain things. We grew up in other churches. So we tend to try to get better at that and try to give a more modern version of that and then offer that to God. And he's like, okay, where'd you get that from? And when we look at it, a lot of times we got it from our history, our past, our examples, what we've seen done. But I always remember, he said, if your eye has seen it, if your ear has heard it already, if it's already happening in the earth, that's not what I purpose to come from you. And, and it's that, that you know, I referred to it, um, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. You know, your eye is not seen, your ear is not heard. It's not in entered into the heart of man, what God has prepared for those that love him. So he's prepared something specifically for you to minister in the earth. It's his kingdom and his will. There's, there's something that God wants to show. And it's, you know, something that's happening up in heaven. It's the atmosphere of heaven. He wants to show it through your life. But it can't come if we're doing things our way or if we're only doing what our eyes have already seen in the earth and what our ears have already heard in the earth. It's like there's something brand new God wants to do. And he said, it's not in the heart of man. And I said, God, you know, I told you this a couple of weeks ago when I said, well, God, if it's not in the heart of man, where am I supposed to get it from? And he said, it's in my heart. You've got to come and seek what's in my heart. David was after God's heart. So God, what is it that you desire? So, you know, like when Petra started, a guy told us, our sound person told us, you know, after God had said to me, don't get a Hammond organ, I had never been in the church that didn't have a Hammond organ, except to be like in other denominations and they might have pipe organs or something, but there was always an organ. And so God said, don't get an organ. I was like, okay. So I told our sound guy, God said, don't get an organ. And he said, the sound guy said, you can't be in church without an organ. Like, what do you mean you can't be? Just like, like, no, you can't be. And I was like, okay. So he just determined. I said, but God said, don't get one. He 
the sound person determined that we had to have an organ. He went and got it, plugged it in, all the power blew in the building, everything. And I was like, okay, God was making a point. And he was saying, not that what I had seen was bad, not that the, the way I knew to teach choirs, you know, three-part harmony, it's not, not that it was bad, but God wanted to show me something that my eye hadn't seen and my ear hadn't heard. He just wanted to show me another way, uh, uh, you know, in a new place. And it's like, okay, God. So I had to lay down my will because I did want the organ. I did want to teach the choir, you know, have a choir and teach my people. I wanted to do what I knew how to do because when we do what we know how to do, we can control it. We can sort of handle it. When the Holy Spirit comes in, it's like in John 3, it says, he's like the wind. He's going to take you to places that you've never been before. And it's God control. And I, I've experienced both. What's controlled by me and what's controlled by man. And I've experienced what is controlled by God. I'd rather have what's controlled by God because it's an adventure that is a wonderful adventure. And it's not the same old, same old. And it's not, okay, we know what's coming next. And we know this and we know that, we know that. We're more comfortable in terms of our human minds when we know, you know, we can control and we understand what's happening. But the way of the spirit, it just blows the natural mind, but it gives an amen in your spirit. Because we've all experienced stuff that our minds didn't understand, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was craziness. You know, it was stuff out of control. It was like, okay, I don't want that. Like I remember growing up and people called when um, they called it the Holy Ghost falling on them and they would just like dance and shout and hit people and take out the choir stand. And, you know, I mean, I've seen some damage happen and people would blame it on, um, you know, filled with the spirit or the Holy Spirit fell on me. But when I started reading the scripture for myself and finding out the responsibility of the Holy Spirit, it was not it was not that it was not that at all. So what that was, was emotion. It was soulishness. It was what they had seen, what they had heard. It was, they get these goosebumps, these feelings, and it was not coming out of spirit. It was coming out of the soul, the emotion. And it was damaging people, you know, in some cases. Uh, but it's like, okay, I don't want that. So what the enemy was able to do through that example was cause some of us to not even want the Holy Spirit because when we saw stuff happening that didn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't right. They would blame it on the Holy Spirit. And so we're like, I don't want that. I don't want the spirit. And it wasn't until this worship relationship that God began to help me to understand that, you know, I needed to repent. I needed to think different because who I thought the Holy Spirit was and what I thought the Holy Spirit was doing, that wasn't him. He wasn't doing that. But what God said the Holy Spirit would do is guide me into truth, that the Holy Spirit would lead me, that the Holy Spirit would comfort me, that the, it was all these things that I desired. I want that, that the Holy Spirit would take me into places, even places unknown, and that I could actually pray in my, my natural language, and it, the Bible calls it praying with understanding, and I could also pray in the Spirit, that there's another language that is the language of heaven, that when I don't know what to pray, I don't have to rack my brain, but there's a spiritual language that I can pray in. And it is the spirit of God that's in me praying to God. 
So when you see that, you know, capital S is always referring to the Holy Spirit. But when you see the small s, it can be referring to our spirit beings. It can be referring to, uh, you know, a spirit that is not of God. It can be just, you know, it's different places. It's referring to different things. But the Holy Spirit is, you'll always see that capital S. But I can pray in the spirit. I can sing in the spirit. So I can sing intelligible words like Jesus, I love you, or oh, how I love Jesus. I can sing, but I can also sing in a which is a language my human mind doesn't understand, but my spirit understands it. So my spirit can sing, my mind can sing, but church experience in terms of religion and in terms of what people were blaming on the Holy Spirit, it was keeping us in a realm where we knew what was going to happen. We understood everything with our human mind. And it's like, okay, that's a safe place for us. And we can control what happens. We can control how long the song is. We can control, like, this is what we want to do. We can control all of that. When God challenged us and said, you can lay it all down and I'll teach you the way of the spirit. It was new, it was exciting, it was not within our control, but when it's God controlled, man, that's that experience that is literally out of this world. And it's not the experience that was blamed on the Holy Spirit years ago. You know, we're like, okay, he's taking us just to a place where this is crazy. God's not crazy. His Holy Spirit is not crazy. He's very real, very practical, but he does take us to places that are beyond our human understanding in order to awaken within us a part of our being, our spirit being that is stronger and better and eternal, more eternal. It, it, it's not human. It's beyond what's human. And beginning to experience that my appetite grew for, I want more of the things of God. I don't want to go to, even, you know, when we started um, Petra and God told me not to call it rehearsal, he told me to, to call it prep, which was short for preparation. And he said, because rehearsing is rehearing, is to rehear, which is okay to rehear, but your goal is not to keep redoing what we know to do or to, teach something that I've already heard, that's fine. But there is another realm that says, okay, we can come together and God can birth a song in the midst of this. It can be something brand new. It doesn't have to be what my mind already knows. And so I started desiring both. And God said, you know, don't call it rehearsal because whatever you call a thing, it sets the mindset for the people attending. So if you call it rehearsal, they're gonna come expecting to rehearse as they should because you're calling it rehearsal. And I was like, well, God, what do I call it? And he said, well, what are you, go you, know, what are you going to do? And I said, we're going to prepare to lead and worship. We're coming to prepare. And he said, well, it's preparation time then, it's prep. So that's where prep comes from, it's preparation time. And we were preparing, what we had to learn to do was to prepare God's way. And so, that's why the first couple of times we came together, God said, don't sing. I don't want you doing what you know how to do because you just want to stay in the place where you know everything so that you can control everything. God said, don't do what you know to do. Just come together and I'll guide you. And we came together and he guided us. 
but we didn't sing a note. You know, and I, I shared this experience with you the first or the second week, but that, that word preparation, he just said, he was making a point, don't limit me to what, to simply rehearsing what you already know. Rehearsing is necessary. There's a time for everything, but don't limit it to rehearsing. Don't limit it to just rehearing what you already know or doing what you already do. Just come and learn how to prepare my way. Now, because I was the worship, the chief worship leader, what was challenging for me was, God, okay, so I got to be sensitive to your voice in the moment. Like, you know, or even, you know, it didn't have to be just he would drop it in the moment. There could be times where, you know, days before it, he would say, this is what I want you to do when you all come together. This is what, but it took me seeking him in a new way where before it didn't take me seeking him. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what songs I wanted to go over. I knew what I wanted to give him. And I knew when we come together, that's what I'm going to teach the worship team. And that's what we're going to do. And that's what we're going to offer God. Fine for a moment, but in the next chapter, God says, okay, now I want to teach you how to seek me and how to care enough about me as your heavenly father to ask me what I, what I want, what I want. And it was challenging and it was worth every bit of the challenge. And the challenge wasn't that God didn't want to guide me. The challenge was that I still wanted to stay where I knew everything and I wanted to stay where I can control it. And so that's that challenge of the will. And, and true worship, again, is always going to require faith. It's always going to require a surrender of the will. And it's always going to require choice, whether that's in a worship prep, in a worship service, or in daily life, or like the example I gave in the middle of a basketball game. You know, uh, it, it, it's just, it's, worship is going to require, true worship requires that. And so what we see with Martha, and please read this between this week and next week in your own time, because I believe God will speak a particular thing to you out of this, you know, these verses that we've read in Luke 10, 38 through 42. But just the, the understanding that God wants me to share right now of this is that Martha did invite him in. He was there at her invitation, and she was stressed out, anxious, worried about what she wanted to prepare for him. And then she got angry and mad at her sister because what her sister was doing was taking time to sit. And it says she sat at his feet, at Jesus' feet, but she was taking time to hear from him what he wanted. Martha was doing what she wanted for Jesus. Mary was taking time to hear, okay, what is it that you want? And so because Martha was sort of in her own world, in her own mind, doing her own thing for Jesus, she even comes in and rebukes Jesus and begins to accuse him. Like, don't you care that I'm left doing what I want to do? Uh, she didn't say it like this. Of course, I'm paraphrasing it, but she's like, don't you care? that my sister's just leaving me to do all this work. And honestly, it's like I, I, I had a day before where I had, uh, I can remember just being worn out. And I was like, God, I'm so tired. And I shared this with you all before. And God simply said to me, that's because most of what you did today 
is what you wanted to do. It's not what I was leading you to do. It's not what I wanted you to do. And you're worn out from doing your own thing. And so we can live our lives when we're worn out from doing our own thing or frustrated. And again, God's not condemning us. You know, it's the point Pastor Katani was making when she was talking about her mind wandering and that she would, you know, condemn herself. And that self-condemnation, we recognize God is not condemning us. He's just inviting us to a better place, inviting us to another place that is um, life-giving instead of depleting life and taking life from us. So when Pastor Katani was talking about her experience, I recognized she was making the point of how the self-condemnation, it made her feel down. It took life out of her. You know, it was like a down feeling, down on yourself. But when she just got free and was like, okay, Spirit, Holy Spirit, you handle this. Then it, it actually, uh, it, it infuses us with life. So the difference between doing things God's way versus my way, when I do things my own way, it drains life from me and it causes me to be anxious and worried and troubled. And I got to, you know, I want to control everything. So I, I'm accountable to handle everything because I put me first and I, it's about me, about what I want to do. But when I put him first, it's like the life that comes from him, we're infused with that life. And we're, we're, we're more excited about what we do because it's what he's calling us to do. And whatever he calls us to do, he anoints us and equips us to do. And it just brings this energy. It's like this supernatural life flow that occurs. And so with Mary, she was receiving, um, she was anxious. I'm sorry, Mary was receiving the life. Martha was anxious. And so Jesus, his response to Mary is so beautiful. Um, his response to Martha, rather, is so beautiful because he's not saying, um, I'm mad at you or I'm through with you or you're wrong or whatever. He's teaching, it's a teaching moment. And he simply says to her, Martha, you're worried, you're troubled about all these things. And there's only one thing that's needful. And he said, Mary has chosen it. It's a choice. Remember, I said, worship is a choice. It's a choice. And it's a choice available to all of us, but everybody doesn't choose it. And I recognize that. I recognize everybody doesn't want intimacy. Some people that sing Christian music, they just want to sing Christian music. They don't want the relationship. They don't want the intimacy. Some people that are using their technical skills and working on sound and working on videos, some of them don't want, want anything other than using their talents, but there are some that want intimacy of relationship and they and everybody has the right to choose. So I had to learn, everybody has the right to choose. It's not like, you know, God is gonna make you or zap you if you don't, but nobody will be able to say at the end of it all that God, you never offered the choice to me, nobody, because he's offered it to all of us. And he gives us the right to choose and he's gonna love us no matter what we choose, but life is better, so much better when we choose his way. And so I'm thanking God for that. But he says there's one thing that's needful, one thing that's necessary to deal with everything else that we've got to deal with in life. If you're writing, and this is um, tying into this point of one thing, and it's in Psalm 27, where David says, it's Psalm 27 and it's verse four, but also write verse seven. So just look at these scriptures during the week. Psalm 27, verse four, and then verse seven. 
when Jesus says to her in this scripture, one thing is needful, David says in verse uh, four of Psalm 27, he says, there's one thing I desire, just one, one thing I desire. But then he names three things, but it's one thing. And the point is the three things that he names, they're one thing. So he's making this point, one thing I desire, and he says, and that will I seek after. It's that issue of seeking again. So it's like God's not saying, he, he meets us where we are for sure. And then he takes us to this place and he says, now seek me. It's like um, hide and seek, you know, God doesn't hide himself or uh, keep himself covered in order to be mean. What he understands is he's got to develop this muscle in us that is a seeking muscle. It's a seeking muscle. So he, he says, okay, you know what you know. Now you have a choice to stay where you are and stay with what you know, or you can choose to seek me because there's more. You can seek, you can choose to come after me and to learn more about me and to get to know me better. You can choose to learn how to know me, not just at the church life, but in your daily life. You can choose to, you know, know me in terms of your mates or who you date or, you know, how you pay these bills or where you should work or if you should go back to school. You can choose to get to know me as it relates to guiding you in practical ways in your daily life. And so it's this choice. So David said, okay, that's one thing I'm on. I'm, I'm seeking after one thing. And he says, I'm seeking to dwell in your temple, to inquire of you. I'm seeking, he says three different things, but they literally are one, one thing. And then in verse four, uh, in verse seven, he says, okay, so God, when you said to me to seek your face, my heart responded and my heart is saying, yeah, I'm going to seek your face. So for all of us, that's it or we're gonna seek his face. He's inviting us um, to go on this, this, this place of, okay, how do you seek, how do you seek God? Well, I said earlier, he always teaches us spiritual points through natural examples because he knows that we are spirits, but he put us in these natural body, these natural bodies and in a natural world. And so he teaches us a lot of spiritual points through natural examples. So if I say, well, how do I get to know God better? Or how do I seek God? Or how do I, I'm telling you, go after God. Um, in Philippians 3, he makes this point after the verses that deal with, you know, forgetting the things that are behind and, you know, pressing forth. There's a verse after that where he says, do what you know to do. And if you're otherwise minded, God will reveal that to you. So he's saying, if you think that you got to clap your hands three times, spin around and do a somersault in order to seek me, do what you know to do. And he said, if I'm God enough to save you, I'm God enough to show you, you don't have to do that. He said, I'm God enough if there's another mind operating. If you think that you got to do something and that's not what you got to do, or if you had the wrong thinking about it, and if there's another mind that's not the mind of Christ telling you that you got to do this or you got to do that or you got to do that. He said, do what you know to do. And if it's off, I'll reveal it to you. I'll reveal it to you. But don't use not knowing as an excuse to not seek me. Don't use not knowing how. Look at our natural relationships. All of us, I would venture to say, have had some kind of intimate relationships with people. Whether you're married or not, it could be for the guys, the first time you saw that girl, your first love, that was like, whoa, yeah, I got to get to know her. 
or you know for the the females that were like oh he's cute i want to know him you know and it could be puppy love but at some point even if you were a shy person at some point you got bold enough to pursue what you wanted you got bold enough to try to go after okay how do i get to know them you know even if it's like okay i got to get a friend to introduce me you know but at some point we have all gone after what we wanted. We did not necessarily know that that's the way to get it, but what we knew was I desire it. And however I think I need to attain it, I'm gonna go after it. So God is saying, don't put him in a place then where we're saying, well, I don't know how, so I'm just not gonna try. He's like, okay, if you went after these human relationships, you know, come on. And and it's I need to give you the verse because I have a tendency of referring to scriptures and not necessarily uh, giving the verse. But the verse I'm talking about in Philippians, it's Philippians chapter three, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter three. And um, it is actually the verse I'm talking about is verse 16. And it just says, nevertheless, wherever we have attained, whatever you know so far is like, do that, walk by the same rule, do that, uh, mind the same thing. It's verse 15, it's verse 15, it's right after I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. Then verse 15 says, let us therefore as many as be perfect, and perfect means mature, it doesn't mean flawless, it just means mature. As many as be mature, have this mindset, be this minded, have this mindset. And it says, and if there's anything else, if you're otherwise minded, if it's not the mind of God, if there's like, you know, that's not what you have to do, but you think it's what you have to do. He says, God will reveal this to you. God will reveal it. And so if you read those verses, you can start at verse 12. This is Philippians chapter three, start at verse 12 and read through verse 15 read through verse 15. And we'll talk about that perhaps next week um, because he's, he's literally making the point that in verse 12, I've not already attained what I was created to do. Um, and I'm not already as mature as I'm gonna be, but I follow after, I'm moving from where I am, I'm continuing. I'm not staying like I am. I'm trying to go deeper, trying to go further, trying to get to know God more. And he said, if I'm able to do that, I'm going to follow after so that I can apprehend the thing that I've been apprehended for. And he says, I'm not counting myself to have arrived. But one thing I do, I'm forgetting what's behind. And I'm pressing for I'm, I'm moving forward. Remember, I told you worship is toward it's forward. It's a towards movement. And so he says, I'm moving towards and I'm pressing for the mark. But then he says, in essence, I'm going to forget what's behind and I'm not trying to preach. So I'm just going right through to this point. I'm forgetting what's behind and I'm reaching forth. I'm stretching. I'm not going to stay comfortable like I am, but I'm stretching for what's ahead and I'm moving forward. I'm pressing. I'm going to seek. I'm going to go after God. And then he says, then it comes to that verse. If I'm stretching in a way or moving in a way where God's not saying I got to do all that, but I'm doing what I think I got to do in order to get to know God better. Then he says, if you're off, God says, I'll reveal it to you. I'll reveal it to you. So that's the point. You don't have to spend seven hours a day with God in order to know him better. 
But if you think you do, and if you think you got to start spending seven hours with God, and if you start trying to do that, God will let you know, it don't take all that. You ain't got to do all that. You know, let's start with one minute. Let's start with 50. God will let you know. So he's God enough to reveal himself to us. And that's what he desires to do. Use your relationships, your personal relationships, your natural relationships, the people that you're closest to. How did you get close to them? It couldn't be just they did all the talking. It couldn't be just you did all the talking, but it was a sharing. Sometimes they talked and you listened. You know, sometimes they they listened, you talked, you know, you listened, they talked. It was an interaction and there's a time for everything. There were times when it wasn't time to talk, you know, but just think about how you established intimacy in your natural relationships. God is teaching us, even through natural relationships, he's teaching us spiritual points. How do I become intimate? How do I become intimate? When you put your best face on and you're always presenting the best thing about you and the person never gets to see what you're like without your hair comb, without your, you know what I'm saying? The real deal, the real you, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, our those that we're intimate with, and I'm talking now the intimacy in terms of a husband, wife kind of intimacy, you get to see the real deal. And so when God says, in John 4, and he's saying, worship is spirit and truth. He's like, you ain't got to dress up for me. You ain't got to put your makeup on and act like a certain way for me. God says it's spirit and truth. He desires truth. He desires the real deal because he knows the truth. So he doesn't want us coming into his presence, acting like we are something that we're not. He doesn't want me to pretend with him. I'm free to be who I know myself to be. But the truth is in God's presence, if I surrender who I know myself to be, he always reveal an aspect of who I really am that I've not yet gotten in touch with. And so that's one of the beautiful things, but he says, whoever you know yourself to be, don't stay away from me. Don't let the enemy say, okay, you're perping because you're not all together, you're not perfect. God says, just come, seek my face, seek intimacy with me, even in, um, with the truth of how you are, just start where you are, start right there. Just start spending some time with me and don't feel the necessity to hide anything because worship is spirit and it's truth. And so if I just surrender myself in God's presence, God says, not only will he reveal more of himself to me, but he'll reveal more of who I really am and he'll begin to change me in that place. And he'll begin to just do what only he can do so if you will read for next week, um, the John, before we go to John, if you will read for next week, reread Luke 10, 38 through 42. Read those verses in Psalm 30, uh, 27, verse four, verse eight. And then read John, the book of John, which is that worship encounter, but I just believe God will speak something out of it. Um, if you read John 4, start at verse, let me get to it, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, start at verse 4, where are we at, 4, 4, verses 1 through, pretty much the whole chapter, no, verses uh, 1 through 24. 
1 through 24. And then flip over and read verse 34. So if you will read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 24, which is a story about the woman at the well, and then read verse 34. And I just believe that in a very practical way, God will speak something to your spirit. And again, when I'm saying God speaks to your spirit or you'll hear me, hear me say a whole lot, uh, God said this or God said that. I'm not talking an audible voice. It's been very, I could probably count on one hand the times I heard God's audible voice, but I'm talking more, he communicates with me. A lot of times it's just a deep knowing in my spirit. Uh, some people call it intuition, but it's not like, you know, I, I, people that say, well, I don't hear from God. He would be a cruel father to put us in this earth, tell us that he's going to guide us and then never speak to us. It's just that the way he speaks is very, it, it differs the way he speaks. He speaks in um, just different ways. What, and when the scripture's saying, or when I'm saying he speaks, I'm simply saying he communicates. One of the Psalms says that creation speaks of God every day. So you can't say that you ever walk by and like heard a tree say, hey, what's up? You know, but it says that creation is speaking something, is communicating something about God. It communicates. When you see the sun up in the sky, it's not like the sun is saying, I'm shining, but the sun is communicating something about God, God's faithfulness, that no matter if we were faithful to him the day before, the sun's going to still do what it does. It's still coming up. It still shines on the just and the unjust. It's, it does what it does, and it's communicating one of the things that communicates is how faithful God is, that however we act, it has nothing to do with God's faithfulness and that he's going to cause the sun to rise. And so there's, God communicates in a lot of ways and creation speaks of God's awesomeness. So it's communicating about God. Well, the Holy Spirit communicates in different ways. And so we don't want to limit him to like, okay, when's the last time that he said, hey, Kelly. You know, he may not communicate to you like that, but you know when he's communicating, it doesn't mean that you're going to hear his audible voice. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Most of the time, it's not his audible voice that I'm hearing. It's the sense. And there's a scripture in Hebrews 5, 14 that says your discernment gets stronger the more that you use it, the more that you use it. So when you believe that it's God's voice and you add faith and act on it, it gets stronger, that muscle gets stronger the more you use it, the more you use it. So you can't be afraid or try to preserve and protect yourself. Like I'm scared, it may not be God, so I'm just not gonna do anything because it may not be God. Well, it may be God. And the only way that you find out is in wisdom, if you act on what you believe is God, God says, if it's not me, I'll let you know. But if you never act on what you, if you never add faith to it, you'll never know. And that muscle will never get stronger. It'll never get stronger. And so the more you exercise that muscle, then your discernment will get stronger and be able to sense like, yeah, this is God or yeah, this is not God. And the more intimate you become, the more you can recognize the leading of God versus when it's not God. And it's a process. So I'm still growing in it, you know what I mean? So when I say, you know, I believe God is saying this in this moment, 
I'm adding faith to it. And it may not be that I'm always correct, but what happens is that if your heart is pure before God, what, what happens is you'll know in that moment if it is God, if it's not God, and if you believe it's God and your heart is pure, God will let you know, yeah, that is me, or no, this is not me. So our assignment for this week, and we're adding to praying Matthew 6.10, God, I want your kingdom to come and I want your will to be done. We're adding to Romans 12.2, God, renew my mind, change the way I think. What we want to add is Psalm 51, verse 10. Psalm 51, verse 10. And it's David where he jacked up with Bathsheba and he's saying, you know, God, I jacked up in essence, I messed up, um, forgive me. But there's one verse where he says to create within me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And what that means, again, the heart represents why you do what you do and what you're really after. And he's saying, God, I want my motives to be pure in what I do. And I want my desires to be pure. So I want my motive, why I do like what I do and my desire, like what I'm really after, I want it to be pure. I want it to be the real deal. I don't want to be deceptive and you know playing people and all that. I want to, I want to have a pure heart. And then he says, create a clean heart within me and renew a right spirit within me. And that word right, the King James uses the word right, R-I-G-H-T, renew a right spirit. That word right simply means erect, erect, like E-R-E-C-T, an erect spirit. Cause my spirit to stand up so that I'm not living with my soul strong, but I'm living with my spirit strong. And so I want the spirit being in me to guide me, not my soul, not my emotions, not my feelings, not my human mind. I don't want the human stuff. So he's like, create within me a clean heart and then renew a right spirit and erect. Let my spirit, the spirit being that I am, stand up strong inside of me so that I'm living life spirit to spirit. And so that is it. I thank God for you.